Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We've been looking at the story of a lady called Ruth. She was born in a foreign land next door to the nation of Israel. Israel is God's promised land and God's promised people. And he had chosen them to bring all his blessings to planet Earth. But there was a nation right next door called the Moabites. And Ruth was a Moabite. And she lived about 3,300 years ago. If she hadn't somehow got plugged in to the people of Israel, we would have forgotten about her. We would know nothing about her. But what happened was she got plugged in and she became part of God's family, God's people. And this incredible story takes her from being nothing and no one, being widowed and poor and all alone in Moab, and at the end of the book of Ruth, she is part of God's people, not just part of God's people, but out of her family, King David was her great-grandson, and then Jesus was part of her lineage as well. It says that Ruth was one of uh, Jesus's ancestors. So this lady got put into the, the family of God by God's grace. She didn't deserve it. She was far from God, all alone, widowed and somehow put into the very middle of God's purposes and just surrounded by family, love, blessings, everything she needed. And we're looking at the steps that took her from nowhere to being in God's purposes because each one of us is like Ruth. I am like Ruth. I was nowhere. I was excluded from God's people. In fact, Ephesians 2 says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. I am Ruth. God took me and saved me. So we looked at how she met this Israelite young man. She married him. Then he died. Tragedy happened. But her mother-in-law moved back to the promised land and she went with her. She covenanted to her mother-in-law. She was faithful. She was hardworking. She was honest. She was humble. And God, it says she happened to be in the field of this man. And this thing happened to her. And this thing, it's almost like luck, but it wasn't luck. God was leading her through all the steps. And now we come to Ruth chapter 3. And at this stage, she's been working in the fields of a man called Boaz. And I need to just give you a little bit of background. There was this principle in the nation of Israel where a kinsman redeemer could help a family member, especially a woman, but even a man, a family member in trouble. So if there was a murder in the family, a kinsman redeemer was the avenger who would go and take revenge on whoever committed the crime and ensure that justice was done. That was one thing that a kinsman redeemer would do for a family. The other thing was if they got poor and they had to sell themselves into slavery, the kinsman redeemer could come and redeem them from slavery and get them, buy them back so that they were no longer a slave anymore. The other thing um, was that if they'd lost their possessions, if they got poor and they lost their possessions, the kinsman redeemer could go and buy their land and their possessions back for them and restore what was stolen. And then the fourth thing that a kinsman redeemer did, um, and Boaz was a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, the fourth thing that he could do was he could marry her if she was widowed and ensure that she was married and that she had children. Uh, it was his duty to do so. And we're going to look at how Jesus 
is our kinsman redeemer. This little phrase, it's in Hebrew, it's the word goel, and it occurs hundreds of times in the Bible. It's translated redeemer. So in the book of Job, where Job says, I know that my redeemer lives, and one day he will stand upon the earth. That's that word goel, my kinsman redeemer. Let me read you a couple of the other places where this phrase occurs. Um, Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I have redeemed you. Goel, kinsman redeemer. This phrase is all through the Bible, but we can miss it if we don't understand the significance. It was a family member who took you in, who protected you, who avenged you, who bought back your goods, who covered you as a husband and looked after you and gave you his name and his protection and blessed you. Isaiah 54 says, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, your kinsman redeemer. We miss it if we don't understand what a kinsman redeemer is. Now let's read the story. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz... Remember, he's this guy who she just happened to run into. He was the one God had prepared as her kinsman redeemer to restore everything that the enemy had stolen, all the misfortune and all the bad. He was the one who brought her to be back where she should be in the middle of God's purposes. And he's a picture of Jesus. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So they'd been harvesting barley all these weeks. And Ruth had been there in the field with him harvesting. He'd been watching her. She'd been watching him. A love had been developing between them. He admired her. He respected her. She admired and respected him. She'd kept herself from running after all these other young men. And there was something between them. And um, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, says he's threshing tonight. Even though he was a very wealthy man, he went to the harvest field and threshing is when they start threshing the barley to get the, the good stuff out from all the husks and the, and the chaff. And they would thresh it through a kind of a machinery of some sort and then let the wind blow away all the chaff and what was left was the good barley. This wealthy man was with his harvest, sleeping next to his harvest, which is... A picture of Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's with the he's looking for the harvest of lost people, and he's right there with them. He's not delegating it to someone else. He's there in the harvest field. Verse three. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself with perfume. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating. This mother-in-law is giving dating advice to her little daughter-in-law. And saying, look, dress nicely, put on this perfume, do your hair like this, do this, do this, do this. Amazing. Really a, a very human um, picture here. Very real. Uh, do not make yourself known to him until he's finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down, you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. This seems like very, a very forward thing to do. But this is what servants did. When a master lay down and slept at the threshing floor, the servants would go and lie crossways across his feet, and that was the way of a servant. It was just very normal and natural. Um, verse 4, Then it shall be when he lies down, 
sorry, verse 5. And she said to her, all that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative, a kinsman redeemer. We don't understand that sentence, but in Israeli language, this is what it means. You have a right to take me under your wing, and I have a right to demand that you take me under your wing, but I'm coming to you gently and humbly and asking, I'm wooing, I look nice, I smell nice, I'm... There's a, there's a love relationship. So rather than demanding my rights, I'm asking you. She's, she's proposing marriage, she, which seems very forward. But there's something actually very beautiful, and we're going to see it in the story. She says, take me, take me as I'm, you're my kinsman redeemer. He could have reacted badly. He could have said, what? No, how dare you, you impudent young woman. But he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. This little phrase that's translated virtuous woman occurs earlier in the book where it says uh, Boaz was a man of great wealth. And it's also the exact same phrase that in the book of um, Judges, where it talks about Gideon, it says, God appeared to Gideon and said, you are a mighty man of valor. It's the same phrase. Virtuous woman, man of wealth, mighty man of valor. It means someone full of God. He respected God in her. And he was looking at her and saying, yes, I can marry this woman. And she respected God in him. So he says, you're a virtuous woman. Everyone knows that you're a virtuous woman. Verse 12, now it is true that I am a close relative, a kinsman redeemer. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for, he, for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. And then he gave her a whole lot of grain and he sent her on her way and all was well. Let me just talk about this other relative who was closer than him. We know that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus has come to buy us back from slavery. Jesus has come to take back all that the enemy has stolen for it, from us. Jesus is the one who avenges us and takes revenge. We don't have to. When someone hurts us, we don't have to worry about taking revenge. He will sort it out. And he's the one who takes us in and gives us his name and gives us a family and protects us and looks after us. He is our kinsman redeemer. But she's, he said, there is one who has a, a prior legal claim to you and I must go and find out what's going on with him. Boaz said, there's somebody else who has a, a priority, a legal claim. And that is the devil. The picture of this other person who has a claim over us is Adam and Eve sold the human race into slavery to the devil and Jesus had to go and defeat the devil legally by every time he was uh, tempted Jesus resisted the temptation he overcame the devil whenever the devil had demonized or made a person sick or deceived someone Jesus went and set them free and then at the end Jesus died and paid the legal payment the price to get rid of the the other relative who had a claim and to buy us back from slavery 
I want to say to you, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and he's brought us, bought us back from that other relative. Praise God. Praise God. But now I just want to take the rest of my time today to say that there are two ways that we can relate to each other, to God, as husbands and wives, as family members, even employees and employers and all this. There are two ways. The first way is based on what's right and wrong, based on laws and regulations, based on duties and obligations. A nurse goes to the hospital. She says, I am qualified. They say, how are you qualified? She shows them her certificates. I went to this school. I passed these exams. I have this much experience. I am a qualified nurse. And the hospitals say, you are a qualified nurse. And they give her a contract of employment. And they say, if you will work on these days for these hours doing this work and obeying these rules, then we will pay you this much. And it's all based on merit and rules and laws and regulations. And the nurse works and she does everything that she's required to do. And if she doesn't, there are regulations on how to discipline and how to deal with disputes. And it's all legislated and, and governed by some rules. That's the first way that we can relate. And we can relate like that as friends. We can say, a true friend would do this for me. A true pastor would do this for me. A true church member would do this. A true fellow brother and sister in Christ would do this. A husband would meet these requirements. A wife would do all these duties. We can and we do, whether you admit it or not, we do relate to one another on the basis of rules and regulations, of obligations, on ought-tos and what we should and should not do. That is the first way we can relate. And it's necessary in this fallen planet Earth, because we are all sinful and because we fail again and again, and because none of us really knows what's going on in the other person's heart, it is possible and in fact necessary to have rules as a fallback if things go wrong. But I want to say there's another way of relating, which is called the way of love. And it supersedes the way of law and duty. The way of love is when that same nurse clocks out at 5 p.m. from her hospital and she goes home and her little five-year-old boy is in bed sick with a fever and he's burning up and she nurses him. She uses all of her knowledge and her medical training, but she doesn't care whether she's on the clock. She doesn't care if she's getting paid. She doesn't care about overtime. She loves the boy and she will pour out her heart to look after him. Amen. Friend, I want to say to you that if we are relating on the basis of rules and regulations alone in our friendships, in our marriages, even in our jobs and in our employment, but especially in our relationship with Jesus, if we are relating on the basis of rules and regulations, we have missed the boat. And I hope you're challenged here. I want to read to you what Ruth could have done if Boaz had said that he didn't want to be... A, in fact, she could have done this. She didn't have to dress up nicely. She didn't have to go humbly. She didn't have to put perfume on. She didn't have to be sweet and, and kind and woo him and, you know, flutter her eyelids or whatever she did. 
I just got this funny picture of this dark threshing floor. It's a workplace. It's not a romantic place. It's a place of work and production and money making and, you know, everyone's hot and sweaty and, and she comes all dolled up and dressed up. The picture is amazing. And we, we fall into this trap. We come to God and we think I must do it on the basis of rules and regulations. We come to church relationships and we think I must do it. Even in marriage, we start off all full of love. It's not 50-50. It's 100% and I don't care whether you give 100 back. But when things start to go wrong, we fall back to, to the, law, the laws and the rules, don't we? When lawyers get involved, there's a problem in the relationship. I'm not saying lawyers are bad. I'm saying that when we start getting the rules involved to try and enforce something that should be given by love, then it, it's a very clear warning sign. There's something wrong. When somebody says, you should have. When someone says, it's my right. When someone talks to someone else and says, it's not right that they do that. There's a problem. Can I challenge you, my brother or sister in Christ? Are you a campaigner for right and wrong? Are you a justice warrior? Are you the kind of person who you would love to just be out there with a placard every day? It's fine to campaign for right and wrong, but when we are judging others, when our whole existence and the way we relate to other people is based on what they should have done, we've fallen out of grace. It's, you can campaign for principles without judging and hating other people. Amen? You can. And yet our society, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but our society is all about, I deserve my rights. You should have. He should have. They should have. We should have. The problem with rules and regulations is they are never perfect because we are never perfect. No matter how much you can say they are wrong, there is always something they can say you are wrong, and we will always, it will degenerate into alienation. And so we, we start to manage our relationships based on you can visit on these days. I'll give you this much. That's not love. Amen? There are two ways of relating. Laws and love. And I want to show you what she could have, what the law of Israel said if a kinsman redeemer didn't do his duty. So Deuteronomy 25 verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother. Verse 7. If the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name for his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has had his sandal removed. And that's how Ruth could have related to Boaz. Instead of Boaz being this man of 
grace and honor and respected and loved and their relationship being one of love. You know, they went on to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. David was born up in this family. There was health, there was life, there was goodness. There was something beautiful in this family. It was a, a tree of life. But it could easily have been Boaz walking around with one sandal removed, feeling humbled and embarrassed. Ruth standing up for her rights, saying, you shall look after me, you little husband. And him saying, yes, dear, I'm the man with one sandal. I want to tell you that if we live in rules and obligations, it cripples us. Is it right? Yes, you can legally demand your rights. You can go to your life group leader and say, it is right for you to do this, this, and this. You can come to your church leader and say, it is right. We can go to you and say, it is right that you pay your tithes. We can demand of each other. Amen? And no one can point a finger and say, that's not right, because the law is always right. It's like a woman getting married to a man called Mr. Law. In fact, Romans 7 talks about that in verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you be, may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And verse 6, So now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What this is saying is that when we were trying to obey God by rules, when we were trying to relate to God with rules and regulations, it's like a husband who every morning, there's no love, he just gives you a list of things you must do that day. And you, you can't point a finger at him because he's always right. He's right in saying it's your duty to do this. And so as a wife, you just go through the motions. But he says, Jesus died on the cross and you died to that old husband, the law, so that you can be married to this new husband, Jesus, this new kinsman, redeemer. And now it's out of love. You don't have a list of things you must do for him. He doesn't say you should, you must, you duty bound. He doesn't point the finger or use the, the whip on you. He says, I love you 100% unconditionally and you love him. And now you look every day and you say, you know what, all those lists that the law used to give me, I'm fulfilling all of those and more, but it's coming out of love. It's coming out of a heart of love. And so I just want to say that we can relate to God based on rules but it will never be enough. Galatians 5, verse 1 and 2. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled by a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Again, I testify to every man who becomes circumcised 
that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. He says, you can't have both. You can't relate to Jesus based on trying to be duty-bound and do all the rules and earn his favor or say the right words in a prayer or know the right facts in your head or demand that God does what he should do. He says that's not how it works. It's about love. It's about grace. And if you go back to thinking, I can be good enough or God must, he says you, Christ will profit you nothing Romans 7 says you, you're an adulteress. You're trying to go back to an old husband. It's got to be out of love. And so Ruth could have demanded from Boaz that he was the kinsman redeemer, but she wooed him with love. Boaz could have demanded that Ruth becomes his wife, but he said nothing. He knew that he had a right, but he said nothing. He never forced her. God will never force you to obey him, and God will never force anyone else to obey him. You know, when people say to me, please pray for my unbelieving uncle or son or daughter or husband or whatever, that God will save them. I say, Lord, please, would you show yourself to them? But God will never force that person to believe. Amen? Please get this. God will never force anyone to be his spouse. He says, it's got to come out of love from you. You have to come. You have to make yourself look nice. You have to come to him and say, God, I want you to be my husband. And he says, yes, I'm so happy. I've loved you all these months. I've been watching you working, sweating hard in the field and, and serving faithfully. I've loved you. I've wanted, I've so longed to take you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you had to be willing. Just two more stories. And then I'll close. The older brother, prodigal son, gets saved. Prodigal son's been far away from the father. Do you remember? He spent all his dad's money. He comes to his senses. He says, let me go back and say to my dad, dad, just make me one of your servants again. I just, I'd rather live as a servant in your house than far away in a pigsty. And the dad runs and grabs him and puts a robe on him and hugs him and makes a big party. And the older brother is out working in the fields and it says he heard the dancing. Do you know how loud you have to dance for someone in the fields to hear you dancing? Not the music. It doesn't say you heard the music. You heard the dancing. You've got to be stamping your feet for someone in the fields to hear it. There was rejoicing going on. This younger brother had understood this way of relating that's all about love and grace. The older brother comes in with a stern face and he says to his dad, All these years I have been slaving for you. You never gave me anything. And the dad says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. The fridge and the cupboard doors are always open. Take what you want. And we never, at the end of the story, we never know whether the older brother came in and received grace or whether he continued to relate to the father on the basis of rules and justifying, I've earned this. Please don't let us be the older brother. Amen. And then the last story. Remember Ruth had come to Boaz with perfume and all this stuff. Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Pharisees were all about rules. I've done this, therefore I deserve this. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner 
when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, perfume. This lady has been a prostitute. This alabaster flask is worth over a year's pay. It's worth a fortune. Thousands, tens of thousands of pounds worth. It was very expensive. And it was the earnings from her sin. But now that she's come to Jesus, the cost, the real cost, when she's about to break open this alabaster flask and pour it on Jesus, she's not thinking about money. She's thinking about the cost that it cost her in hurt, in pain, in wasted years, in chasing after dreams that never fulfilled her, in hurting herself and other people, in disobeying God, in being unfulfilled. The cost of that perfume for her was not 50,000 pounds. It was a wasted life, and she was willing to pour it on Jesus and say, everything I have and everything that I've lost, I pour on you, Lord Jesus. I don't come on the basis of earning or deserving. The Pharisees are all sitting around saying, I deserve, I deserve. She comes saying, I deserve nothing. And she stood at Jesus' feet weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears. Understand, she's embarrassed. She's walked into a religious Pharisee's house and everyone knows she's a prostitute, but she's willing, like Ruth is willing, to go and embarrass herself in front of Boaz and say, will you be my husband? This lady is willing to go to Jesus with the perfume and say, Jesus, will you forgive me? She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, if two people owe some money, one owes 50 and another owes 500, and they're both forgiven, which one will love more? And the Pharisee says, well, the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus said, this woman has loved me so much that all of her sins are forgiven. He doesn't say it, but he implies, you think you can earn forgiveness you haven't loved me at all. None of yours are forgiven. And this woman is forgiven. And Jesus goes on in other gospels to say, whenever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be written down for eternity as a memorial to her. Just like Ruth is written in our Bible and we know about her. Friends, you can relate to God based on rules. We can relate to one another based on rules. Husbands and wives, we can relate to each other and say, your duty is this. Or we can take this higher route. Because we live on planet Earth, there will always be an aspect of rules, and we will often fall back to rules. But the best, the, the powerful one, mercy triumphs over justice. The, the one that wins out every day is free love and grace. A love relationship where I pour out my heart to Jesus. Can I challenge us, please, brothers and sisters, have you come to that place where you say, Lord, it's not about how good I am. I just want to give myself 100% to you and love you as a husband, number one. Number two, have I done that, but now I've fallen back to thinking I can deserve anything from God, like the older brother. Why did so-and-so get healed when that person was better and they'd been at church for 30 years? They should have got healed. That's us thinking it's about rules. It's about grace. It's about love. We've got to relate to God on the basis of 100%. Give myself to Him, love Him, worship Him, talk to Him in worship every day. Not just attend a ritual service once a week, 
Not just think that I can do a few things and get my name ticked off. Yes, I've done my duty. It's love. Do we love Him? Do we relate to Him? Do we worship Him? When we worship, do we just forget about what anyone else thinks? And we pour out our heart to Him. We weep. We pour out our perfume. We loosen our hair and we say, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. I'm going to dance like the younger brother. I'm going to love my husband for the rest of my life. And that's how Ruth got to be where she was. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are my kinsman redeemer. Lord, you didn't have to. I have failed so many times and in so many ways that you have every reason to say, no, I will not. But you gave your life for me when I was still a sinner. You love me so much. And you said, I love you no matter what you do, no matter what happens. I love you, I love you, because I am love. And Lord Jesus, I want to ask you again, like I did many years ago, come and be my husband, Lord. Come and be my kinsman redeemer. I want to be in this love relationship with you, not, not holding back, giving everything, and receiving all that you blessed me with. Please help me, Lord, to break open my heart like that alabaster jar and pour out my love for you again. Not to be reserved, to just be un unreserved in your presence, Lord. And I thank you, God. Friends, while we're still praying, I'm going to ask you, if you have strayed, if you have backslidden back into legalism, back into being the older brother, thinking you can deserve, you, you've been a Christian a while now, you think God must... Do things for you because you know stuff or you've done stuff. I want to encourage you to go straight back now and say, Lord, it's about love. It's not about what I deserve. And I give you everything of me. And I demand nothing back. I come humbly to you. I encourage you to do that today. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come and forgive you and come into that relationship with you, it doesn't happen automatically. Ruth had to go and ask him. You need to ask God to forgive you, to wash you clean, and to make you a brand new person on the inside. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never done that, please just put your hand up right now in the air, and I'll pray with you. Right now. Is there anyone? Please put your hand up. Anyone else? Anyone? Hands up. Thank you. Three. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, for those three, and let's, all of us, let's just stand together and let's reach out to God. Say, Lord Jesus, perhaps let's say these words out loud. Just say, Lord Jesus. Let's say it out loud, folks. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for loving me. I ask you now to cover me to wash me, to become my kinsman redeemer, to make me brand new. And I want to live for you and with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Thanks for listening. Please respond to this message by asking the Lord how He wants you to change your life as a result of what you've heard. Allow your group leader to pray with you now as you respond to this word. And if you have been blessed by this teaching, 
please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com.